Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Dim. Dum dum dum. Hey, chickens! Fabulous Adam Richard here uh, with the fallout from the death to the Daleks. Oh. Four episodes of John Pertwee glory, where not much happens, but everything happens. I know it's a it's a strange strange state of affairs. Now this is one of the the episodes that was in high rotation when I was a kid, uh, so I am infinitely familiar with it. Infinitely? That's not really innately. I don't know. I don't know what word I was looking for then. Oh, I bumped the microphone. Anyway, I'm really into it. Um, it means a lot to me. I have seen it hundreds of times. The puzzles in episode four, I still just wish that that was a real place I could go to and solve puzzles on the walls. Maybe without Daleks, you know, breathing down my neck. Um, oh, by the way, speaking of the puzzles... So the only reason we watched this episode uh, is because Sarah, when they were doing the puzzles at the end of the Pyramids of Mars, I love a puzzle, um, Sarah said, oh, this is just like the City of the Exelon. She wasn't there. She didn't see the puzzles, which makes me think, oh my God, the insufferable conversations she had to sit through where the doctor explained exactly what happened when he and Balal <laughs> went and did all the puzzles like well, you don't understand Sarah Jane dear girl uh, what happened was there were the puzzles <laughs> like I can imagine Colin Baker doing it but not John Pertwee like, I can't imagine him just you know just just pontificating and I mean maybe I can um I said there's I said uh, a chunky old chap what was the name of the guy there's I forget which one it is is it, is it in 
Death to, I mean, Day of the Daleks, or is it in Claws of Axel? One of them. He's, uh, he starts going on about being a member of a club. It's like, the wrong sort of chap's getting in here. Like, oh, this feels uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Sarah did not see the puzzles. So, how did that work? Um, so, uh, by the way, I've had a, a message from Matt who uh, says, Did you know that Dalek skirts contained a refrigeration unit to keep their drinks cold? True story, British Daleks. He, he thinks that we're going to be fooled. No. Like, they probably did have a refrigeration unit in there to keep John Scott Martin's head, uh, legs warm cool, um, but not cool enough for the Australian level of chilled drink. We have a very, very, very uh, high watermark when it comes to the coldness of our drinks. Like, you may refrigerate them, but not enough. Um, I'm just saying, like, we sometimes we will get a drink out of the fridge and then put ice in it. This is how much Australians love cold drinks. When you're in Queensland and you order a, a glass of white wine, you have to tell them not to put ice cubes in it. Like, that is how full on it is. Um, so yeah, step off. <laughs> Uh, now, oh, I've, I know I spoke uh, during the Pyramids of Mars, um, cause, like, because we're back on Puzzle World. During the Pyramids of Mars, I mentioned that it was Mick Jagger's house. And my mate Peter said, don't you mean Seeds of Doom? Wasn't that the one filmed in Mick Jagger's house? No, was not. It was this one. Um, uh, the play, It's called Stargroves, I think. Uh, <laughs> In Hampshire. Seeds of Doom was filled at Athel Hampton House in Dorset. Um, so Stargroves used to be owned by Lord Carnarvon. Yes, the same Lord Carnarvon who sent Howard Carter into the pyramids and also owns Downton Abbey, Highclere House. I know, Lord Carnarvon. He's got his grubby, sarcophagus-infested fingers all over everything. Um, so yes, and it was owned by Mick Jagger at the time they filmed there, Star Groves, and his mum lived there. So Mick Jagger's mum would have been peeking her head out of the curtains and going, oh, what is going on with those mummies? Like They're very buff. Then they've got very tiny ankles. Um, so yeah, Mick Jagger's mum lived there. Apparently they donated the, you get a fee if the BBC come and film at your house. So they donated the fee to a local charity. Um... Also, uh, I was reading, you know, I like to go and read some things about these shows once I've watched them. Um, I was reading in a book that uh, this, or maybe it was like Doctor Who magazine, one of those things. Um, this D Death to the Daleks was the first time that Robert Holmes was the script editor. So, because he was about to take over in the next series, in series 12, and Terence Dix uh, was off making some other show. So, he said, yeah, here, have a practice. <laughs> And Robert Holmes had always complained about script editors changing his scripts. He's like, well, how hard can it be being a script editor? And uh, was horrified when he got uh, the Tyranation scripts in. Basically, the exact same scripts that had been delivered for Planet of the Daleks. I never said that. That's a different thing. Um, so, the if you're wondering what the similarities are in the last, the final episode... Uh, it's because apparently Pyramids of Mars, Robert Holmes wrote... Um, in a hurry, like the scripts that he got from the uh, the person he'd hired were no good, and so he just like banged it out all in a hurry, and you know got to episode four, has got like oh I've been through all this, <laughs> I've been through all my story now, I've got nothing left. I know puzzles. It worked in Death to the Daleks. We'll go to the planet of the puzzles. It'll be fine. 
and it does work and I love it. Um, but as a kid, it was especially exciting. Uh, now, a question I have about this whole thing is we've been talking about the power drain in the four episodes. The big beacon was sucking all of the energy out. The Daleks couldn't shoot their guns. But the Doctor said they have psychokinetic energy, uh, which is how they're able to roll around and make the lights go on on their, their you know, little casings, their little Dalek barinas. Um, so, but the sonic screwdriver works quite well. And it also interferes with someone whose brain's being taken over. So is, here's my theory, the sonic screwdriver also works on psychokinetic energy. Now think about it. It would explain why it can manage to do 4,000 different things and only really has one button. Because <laughs> it's like, how many ways can you press a button? Like really, how many ways? Because I've got the a couple of the you know sonic screwdrivers and you know it, you just pull the thing down it's like how like if you get it wrong you'd you'd who knows anyway it it, it makes sense to me that it's psychokinetic energy i don't know how he manages to hand it off to sometimes sarah's using it sometimes someone else is using it so maybe maybe it's not psychokinetic anyway it's uh, it's that's that's my thing. Um, on to your <laughs> your reactions, your theory. This is going to end up being two episodes because I've been so excited by this one. Uh, first up, uh, Troy says, "I love the Death to the Daleks incidental music." Oh, Troy, me too. Um, I sang it. Uh, <laughs> I love it so much. Uh, Matt says the music is just wonderful. No dramatic music to make the Daleks menacing here. Oh no. Comedy music that makes you think three Daleks will pop out of the spaceship and pull each other's plungers and slap each other's domes in a Three Stooges routine. <laughs> James lists a whole bunch of things about how many he loves about this show, including the clarinet-driven score, as he says. And Sue says, the oboes of amusement really detract from the menace of the Daleks. Um, so this, uh, this score is written by Kerry Blyton, who how's this for a fact that will blow your mind. He wrote Bananas in Pyjamas, the song, on which the ABC cartoon Bananas in Pyjamas and the, you know, men in suits thing was based. You know, Bananas in Pyjamas running down the stairs. Um, I'm not going to sing it because they'll come after me. Um, Like, they're very powerful people, the Bananas people. (laughs) But yes, he wrote that original thing. I I do love the, the fact that there's some, you know, allegedly menacing clarinet uh i i sneakily popped it into my remote control dalek video which i i've popped online uh if you haven't seen it adamrichard.com.au <laughs> it's up on the youtube you can have a look at it um but the clarinet clarinet by the way is a topic on hard quiz uh i don't know if the episode's been to air so i'm probably giving something why i'm not meant to um anyway there was there was a question about like, you know, there's different sizes of clarinets. Like, there's really big ones with a small little tube you blow into. And then there's, like, a little tiny small one, um, the A-flat, which is the smallest of the clarinet family. <laughs> well, we have Penny Tangy, who wrote an amazing book that I've just read, a book called As Fast As I Can, um, which is adorable. It's about a girl in grade five, and she loves running. And it is, oh, it's a, it's, it's, if you love kids' books, um, it's, you know, a chapter book. It's not like 
pictures or anything, but really, really good book. Um, anyway, so Penny Tangy, one of our verifiers, and she writes very funny verifications. So uh, Lucy Shaw, who had written this topic, uh, had a bit about, and it was my fault. I'd gone like, write one about the obscure weird ones, <laughs> like the weird bit, the weird clarinets. So she's dug up the A-flat clarinet, the smallest, um, and the fact that she'd put down was like she said it was the smallest clarinet and it's rarely used. Uh, Penny's gone, yes, I've checked. That clarinet is the smallest in the clarinet family. I've checked that it's rarely used. It's like Luke Hemsworth. <laughs> and then she, and she's linked to an article about how tall all the Hemsworths are and that Luke is small. It doesn't do as much work as the other two. I love her. <laughs> 